in the beginning, as I said, remaining quite active and doing some stuff on the street um, and just kind of getting into my own practice and keeping that momentum up. So I never, I never did that. I never cold called. I never put my stuff out there. It was like they all like eventually came my way, which was. You're listening to the Gangstar Creative Podcast, where we talk and share real strategies, real tactics, and real stories from me and my badass guests to help Gangstar creatives and artists like you thrive in both your business and life. And I'm your host, Ivana. I'm an artist, creative entrepreneur, speaker, and best-selling author. Are you ready to annihilate the status quo of the starving artist? If so, let's get it. Today's Gangstar Creative guest is Haley King, widely known as Phlox, and she's from New Zealand and made her first mark on the inner cityscape of Auckland in 2003. She's known for her vibrant and colorful native birds, ferns, and flowers painted with spray paint and stencil. Over the past 20 years, Phlox has expanded her practice into prints, publications, murals, graph design, live painting, projects, workshops for both school and the wider public, collaborations, charity work, and both group and solo exhibitions. She's one of New Zealand's most recognized contemporary artists. Her work is seen everywhere from Berlin, Hong Kong, New York, Taiwan, India, and the U.S. Some of her gangster accomplishments include doing an umbrella collaboration with Blunt, building a business from scratch and still going stronger basically for the past 20 years, um, attending a Taiwan residency in 2015 and attending the Ladies Who Paint mural festival last year in 2019, which I actually had the opportunity to assist her in the mural and she is so badass. Her technique with the stencils and spray is just so admirable. So I'm super excited to share this episode with you. Let's get to it. Super excited to have the amazing artist Phlox with me today. Uh, she's all the way um, from New Zealand and she's just such an amazing talent. I actually had the opportunity to assist her on a mural here in San Diego um, and she's just an awesome person and super talented and I got to learn a lot from her. So I'm super excited to have her today to add some value to you guys. Um, Fox, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing today? Even though I know it's hard time. <laughs> yeah, hard times, all right. Um, I'm doing good. Um, you know, we're um, down here in New Zealand, we've just gone to level four, which um, with this virus means the whole of the country is in mandatory lockdown for at least two wow. weeks. Yeah, so it's, um, it's serious. And, you know, I think that it's going to be a really interesting time for society to reflect and to sort of go inwards and you know just kind of have some time on your own and figure out figure your own stuff out um i think for me being a creative i'm in well i i consider it quite a good position because i can keep my brain working and i can keep myself motivated um, mm -hmm. you know, cause it's, it, it's not going to be easy for some people. I mean, it's not going to be easy for me either. Um, but I feel motivated to use this time creatively and to, you know, just, um, use the time wisely and be productive. So as I was saying before, I just purchased a new iPad pro, so. which I'm jealous of. <laughs> yes, oh my gosh. So that arrived, um, the day before I flew out to Indonesia, which is a couple of weeks ago. And, um, yeah, I'm super, super excited. I've been, um, you know, geeking out on that and 
having a play and, you know, working through some new processes and how I can incorporate that new tech into my own practice. Oh, I love that. I love that. I'm glad you're taking, you know, this time to still be productive and still be creative in new ways. And um, it kind of provides you time to experiment with, you know, the iPad and those processes and kind of forces you to work on that um, since you have kind of like more free time, essentially, since you have to be stuck at home. So that's pretty, pretty well, awesome. That's yeah, thing. it's like this free time is, is um, precious, you know, it's, yes. a, it's a, it's a very unusual uh, situation to be in. And, you know, I think um, it just needs to be looked at in a positive light. And, you know, we can, you know, we can use this time um, to build new practices or to come up with some new creative ideas. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what people come out of this with, you know, there'll be a whole lot of stuff going on behind closed doors. It'll be really, really interesting. Yes, it's really cool that you brought that up because I'm sure there's some people, you know, that are scheming and coming up with some brilliant ideas behind <laughs> behind the closed doors and it's going to be interesting to see where society is hopefully you know in a more positive light you know once this all does end <laughs> and come back yeah. to normal so indeed I think it's just you know it's a it's about looking at it positively I think because you know, we just can't let this get us down. It is a serious, serious matter, and we've now got to deal with some consequences. But, um, you know, it, I think it's super important that people um, do remain positive and, and use the time wisely, for sure. Absolutely. So I already gave our listeners um, a really um, good intro to who you are, but if you could tell them in your own words, who is Flox? Where did you start, and where are you today? Sure. Um, so... I am Flocks, and the, <laughs> the name, um, lots of people ask me, you know, where does the name come from? So the name comes from Flocks of Birds. Um, a lot of my work mm-hmm. is um, quite bird obsessed, as, as you'd know personally from the piece we worked on together in San Diego. Um, I come from a really small town at the top of New Zealand um, with a population of 5,000 people. I grew up there until the age of 16 and then I moved to Auckland which is our biggest city here in New Zealand and I've been living here ever since. I started my business when I was roughly 22, 23. Um, I'm now 40. I've just, oh shoot, no I'm not. I'm 41 now. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, same difference. God damn. Um, and yeah, so I've been sort of in the game doing this for most of my life and I can't imagine not being a creative and not running my own business. So, um, the crux of the business is, I mean, I've, I've got my fingers in all sorts of different pies, but the aesthetic, um, comes from the stencil. So I began cutting stencils back in my early twenties and, creating an aesthetic around that process. Um, And I think the aesthetic grew to a point where people started identifying, um, you know, it it became a very sort of strong aesthetic where people knew that it was my work, Um, whether they saw it on the street, because I did do a lot of street art in the beginning, um, or whether they saw it in, um, say, like a commercial ad campaign, or in a gallery, 
or um, on a t-shirt because I did start the business in the rag trade um, because I knew that not everyone could go out and afford to buy, you know, a commissioned artwork, but they could afford like a $40 t-shirt. So for me, it was about um, in the beginning, taking on all the opportunities that sort of came my way and, and playing around with the different mediums, you know, so, I mean, I wasn't ever 100% passionate about being in the rag trade or being, um, you know, in, in the clothing sector, but it served me well. It served the business well, where, you know, I was able to um, expand audiences and offer certain price points that, um, you know, everybody could afford. Um, so yeah, one of my philosophies from the very beginning was to make artwork for the people and to not be um, elitist and to offer up the the work to just anyone who was interested. So a lot of my audience, you know, when they walk into my showroom now, um, you know, they're not necessarily people that will go into a traditional gallery because they feel like it's not for them or they might right. feel like... Um, you know, they don't have the confidence to go in that kind of context. So it's really nice to be able to sell artwork to people for the first time. You know, it might be the first piece that they've invested in for their house or for their kid's bedroom or whatever. So I like to think that, you know, I can always maintain that sense of um, accessibility, I think, uh, which is really yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I love how your work is very colorful and the the way that your process, I mean, all the listeners, you just have to look her up on Instagram or go to her website and look at her work to really see it. But it's just so colorful and her, the way her process with the stencils is applied, it makes it look so detailed and dynamic and multidimensional. Um, and also just being able to have that experience of like seeing it from behind the scenes and helping you like in that process. Like I admire the skill set and the patience um, that goes into your process and the, the style of work you do and the way the, the certain colors that you choose um, where it has like that very like nature aspect. And of course, like the, the bird um, and that themes to it. It's just so cool. So cool. No, thank you. Um, yes, I suppose my strengths would be like I'm a bit of a colorist, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and I do, I do very much so love my color, and I, I'm so in tune with the paint brand that I that I've been using over the years, which offers a very uh, like a vast amount of of colors and tones that I love, and I can you know, I feel quite in tune with putting colors together and knowing what's going to look good and, and how the colors change depending on the order in which you apply um, mm -hmm. and working with different opacities and that sort of thing. But the stencil, you know, um, the cutting stencils is, is a huge labor of love. And then of course, <laughs> when you move outside and you're painting that kind of large scale mural, the stencil... Yeah very very small um, <laughs> and, so, and so I use them wisely and I use the stencils in a way often I'll do repeat patterns which you know they are still small in scale compared to the overall wall but it adds like you're saying that lovely sense of um, texture and depth and you know the the intricacy so for me those big pieces um, I 
I guess the, the aim is for people to stand back and look at the piece overall and to really get a sense of the composition and everything together. But then if they were to walk right up to the mural as well, they would be as equally as surprised and delighted to see that there's these little tiny aspects of the mural that have been hand cut and hand applied. Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, so so it is about appreciating the murals from um, different perspectives, I suppose. So, yeah, the you know it is it is a huge labour, and um, as you as you'd be aware yourself, there's a lot of maths <laughs> to it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like the piece in San Diego, the first thing I did was um, create like a huge compass because I had to have that middle circle centered and you know if I get that wrong then everything in the mural is going to be out you know so yes. um, for me I guess the downside of the way in which I work is that I am less flexible with um, with like I can't just rock up to the wall and say oh I'm going to paint this today you know right. like it's more methodical yeah everything's like pre-planned preconceived and so I suppose I <clears throat> um, really um, focus on that and use that as a draw card so when I go into a piece I'm as equally in tune with the concept as I am with the composition the layout the colors everything like that so for me the concept has become 50-50 with the aesthetic like it's 100% has to have a story it has to have a narrative it has to um, you know it has to say something for the, that particular community you know like there has mm -hmm. to be a connection um, and that has become so so important to me to connect with community but to also keep me on my own toes creatively um, it's just simply not enough for me anymore to create beautiful pictures you know mm -hmm. it has to like have a resonance have, have some deeper meaning and some kind of level of connectivity with that community Right. I, I love that. Because, um, you know, some people just kind of do what comes to them and what's creative or looks nice. But then yours is all of that, but you have so much more meaning to the work. So anybody that's listening right now, definitely take a look at our work. There's a lot of meaning behind it. It's beautiful. It has a lot of different layers and dimensions to it. Um, I know you said that you um, been doing this pretty much for 20 years, which is freaking amazing. Round of applause to you, girl. <laughs> um, I'm curious to know that if this is like what you were always doing, you said like at 22, like since you were 22, this is when you've been doing it mostly like full time. Um, were you doing something else professionally in a creative field? Or is this something that like, you knew that was always going to be what you were going to be doing? It's funny, because I always felt like I wanted to be some sort of creative, but I wasn't sure how or in what creative industry. Um, so before the age of 22, 23, I was, I was at art school. I went to art school and I graduated when I was about 20. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the same time, um, I was actually a professional squash player. So I had this kind of sport, oh. yeah, the sport background. Um, <clears throat> and so it was around you know, that two or three years in between art school and getting serious about, you know, running my own business, coming up with an idea there. Um, I think it was kind of like the, that sort of transitional period where I was figuring my 
working my shit out basically, you know, so um, I never have worked, um, you know, like a nine to five creative job as such. Um, so for those um, transitional years, I was like literally managing a bar while doing my creative stuff on the side. Mm. And, you know, um, it was at some point around the age of 22 that I was able to ditch that and, and just focus solely on the, on my business plan and um, on my creative um, enterprises. Wow, that's amazing. Because I know there's a lot of people listening that probably are in that same situation where, you know, they're working as a bartender, just like a part-time job, um, not really having that professional career at like an agency or a creative, you know, business, so to speak. Um, and they're thinking about, you know, taking that next leap. Was there a specific like um, moment or like project you got hired to do that made you say like, all right, I'm done doing this side stuff. Like I'm going to jump in and do this full time. Yes. So during this time, I, so I left art school and then um, as I was working part time, I decided to enroll into a short sharp business course and I think mm. from memory it was about a 14 week business course it was part-time so I was still able to work part-time um, and that was run through a government agency and at the end of that um, you were if you um, were successful in your business plan um, then they gave you like a kickstart grant and so oh, it nice. was, that, that was kind of like the turning point, I suppose, where I s- said to myself, well, this is it, you know, you've got this mm-hmm. grant, it's going to get you going. Um, and so I used that to, what did I do? I started um, creating small t-shirt lines and small print lines where, and I would go down to the local markets and that was, and that was every weekend. Um, and so that was the platform in which I kind of started to sell um, mm-hmm. and started to have that kind of face-to-face contact with my buyers or with my customers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and then I, I also had, like, when I left art school, I said to myself, if there's just one thing, Haley, that you can maintain um, and, you know, get for yourself, and that's a space like I think having some kind of creative space whether it's at home or it is you know outside of the home um, for me I knew I know that I work well when I maintain a certain momentum and at art school we had a momentum going you know because you you're painting all the time and you mm-hmm. had tutors around you you had you know your um, classmates around you so you know, you're sort of amping each other along. And as soon as that framework ceases, then um, you're on your own, basically. And for me, I I knew that once that dropped off, I was going to need to maintain that level of momentum. So I got myself a studio ASAP and, you know, just chipped away and kept creating artworks. And it was around that time that I put myself into the business course and then I started having, I came up with the name Flocks. I started doing some small um, artworks on the street. This is also the time that I picked up a spray can for the first time, you know, like oh, wow. I, never, 
I never painted with spray paint through art school. So I cut my first stencil. I picked up a spray can for the first time. I started doing some small works on the street. I started having exhibitions under the name Phlox, not my actual name. So mm -hmm. all kind of in those few little, you know, those years, the two, three, four years in between art school and definitively running my own business, there, I suppose in hindsight, all sorts of things were going on and all sorts of things were lining up, if you like. So it was a very interesting time. Do you think it was because of the momentum that you kept up that helped you, you know, get shows and help you continue your work and help you land projects and clients? I absolutely think so. Like I, yeah. I'm definitely not one to sit around and wait for things. Like when I knew that when I graduated that I had a Bachelor of Arts and, you know, lots of people were like, well, shit, what do we do now? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, well, for me, I was like, well, I know that I can't just sit back and wait. Like I have mm -hmm. to make that happen myself. So, and, and a big part of that was I knew I absolutely 100% had to maintain momentum in order to keep positive and, yeah. uh, you know, to explore new practices, um, just play, just, just play with the, with the paint, mm -hmm. you know, just have, just, just keep, keep being busy, I suppose. So yeah, it worked, what? I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, <laughs> you're definitely doing your thing now. I could say that. Um, well, so what was what does your like daily routine look like now? Oh my gosh! Well, things have changed in the last few days, haven't they? Um, but <laughs> well, normally speaking, outside of yeah, normally yeah, speaking, yeah. what does your daily routine look like? <laughs> um, oh, coffee first thing, of course. I have two kids. I have a thirteen-year-old and a six-year-old, so. 13 year olds basically like pretty independent. He gets himself off to college in the morning. Um, I'll mm. go and drop Indy down to primary school, which is just across the road. I've set myself up here in Auckland where my studio is literally a five minute walk away. Indy school is nice. The road. Um, we're all in a nice little bubble here. So um, I'll get myself to work. I've got um, a couple of staff members who are full time and then a couple that are part time. Um, often we'll have a whip, so work in progress, sit down, see what's happening, sort of not for the week, probably more like for the month, because it's difficult to, I mean, the projects kind of are a bit longer than a week, I suppose. Mm -hmm. They're in, yeah, and at any given time, I might have anything between five and 20 projects that I'm kind of juggling short and long term, so. Oh, wow. Um, there's never a dull moment, that's for sure. Um but my staff um, each have their roles. So I have a um, showroom manager and she is amazing. And she basically runs the showroom. So she takes deals with day-to-day -day customers and um, charity applications. She deals with the stock that's coming in. So we do a lot of offshore um, producing and our product ranges growing and growing. So mm -hmm. um, she's sort of in charge of all of that. And then I have a showroom assistant who he deals with other roles such as um, workshops. So <clears throat> I now teach a lot of workshops. So he's in charge oh, of, cool. um, yeah, he, he packs all the workshop packs up and he might be freighting them off to different parts around the country. So when I fly in, like it's there basically, or we, uh. 
yeah, oh, so we'll, you do traveling workshops like I, around. I did, yes, I, I actually started them first, and it wasn't wasn't until recently, a couple of years ago, where I was able to take over all of upstairs to my work. So now I I have a designated workshop space at my work now as well. So that's been really cool for people to come into my space. Nice. Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, look, I I don't have a day-to-day routine as such um it's all very very different um Mm -hmm. there's you know i I may have a day where i can't get off my computer like it's just (laughs) um or i may have um days where i'm purely out in the courtyard painting so um yeah it's all it's all quite diverse and um things change at the drop of a hat (laughs) all the time Um, but yeah, generally speaking, you know, when I'm in Auckland, I'm at my showroom and then when I'm not in Auckland, I could be anywhere in the country, either teaching or painting a mural, um, or, you know, internationally as well. So, um, yeah. yeah, So it sounds like you have different streams of, um, income or revenue that come in. looks like you have like your commissions, like your murals, um, you know, paintings on canvas, that sort of thing. You have a showroom, um, where you sell different merchandise with your artwork in it. I know you've done some licensing deals. Um, and it looks like I just learned that you do workshops, which is really cool. Um, is there other different, um, things that you do to bring in revenue? And I'm curious to know if one, like, does better than the other like are you more excited about one more than the other what does that look like i'll tell you what i'm excited about at the moment um is the i work with um, my distributor who we travel up to china and india once a year and we um make connections and talk with um manufacturers up in those parts of the world oh so cool yeah, where we develop our products. So we go to the um, the fairs up there, and um, it's it's tough work. Like there's a lot of walking, but we, um, <laughs> you know, over the course of a few days, we walk the fairs and we meet with different manufacturers and we look at the products that they make, and then we take that product a step further. We might change its shape. We might add some artwork. We might. Um, say it's a drink bottle we might put a wooden one wooden lid on it instead of what is on the stand so it's about Mm -hmm. taking an existing product to another level that fits my brand and at the moment my brand is i'm having a bunch of kind of sub brands we're working out um you know those subcategories that fit under the flox brand so we've now got flox um uh we've got what have we got flocks um collection we've got um flock sustainables and we've got a new little brand called blackbird which is launching um predominantly for it could be for a male market but it could also be seen as for male or female but it's more stripped back like you talked before about how my work is very colorful it's very mm-hmm. layered it's um it's it's somewhat feminine so um i'm just looking at um other ways in which i can use the stencil and its simplicity to create um very graphic simple 
aesthetics um, that are sort of the fundamentals of this sort of new sub-brand called Blackbird. Um, <clears throat> so I'm really excited about um, developing those product lines and those sub-categories. Cool. Um, and at the moment, oh my gosh, it's been, it's been a while now. It's been probably just under six months we are actually um, working on a new website which um, will reflect all those sub-brands at the moment. <laughs> I'm sorry, people, the current website is a little bit crazy and it's all over the place. So um, <laughs> the new website will be uh, much cleaner and much more, I think, professional looking and much more of a um, reflection on where the brand is now. Because I think, you know, it's there's there's been a lot of change, a lot of growing up, um, that I think the brand has gone through in the last three or four years even. So um, I think the new website will absolutely look beautiful. Um, Yay, I can't wait to see what that looks like. I'm sure, yeah. um, oh, you know, oh I feel God. like everybody does like a rehaul on their website, you know, every yeah. three to four years. So super <laughs> it's okay. Important. Super important. Um, and then I've really been enjoying working with a brand called Blunt here in New Zealand. Now they create these amazing umbrellas. Um, mm -hmm. and you'll probably find something on my website or if you just Google it, lots of times Blunt. Um, they create these umbrellas where, um, you know how umbrellas, generally speaking, you know, you could poke someone's eye out with things once they're up, you know? So yeah. the ends of the umbrella, this guy's come up with a beautiful design where basically the, the all the edges are, are nice and blunt. So, and it's, you know, it's a very strong umbrella. So they do artist collaborations and I'm in round three. We did our first collab back in 2017, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been one of the fastest selling umbrellas that we've ever had. And the second one got best umbrella in the UK. So it's pretty exciting. Um, so this round three, um, obviously we are in the middle of this lockdown and things have changed significantly. However, yeah. um, we're still pushing forward with collaboration. Um, so I'll be excited to launch that this year sometime when, when it, you know, when, when things get back down. to normal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, yeah, I, I love, you know, it's for me in the beginning, I said yes to many kind of brand alignments or collaborations, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. them. For me now, it's, it's about being really selective on who I align myself with. Um, do they have the same philosophies? Um, are they invested in the future of this planet? Do they, you know, everything like that is, is hugely mm -hmm. important to me. Um, and so um, when I find the right brand to align with, um, you know, it's just, it feels so good. So that, that's just another, another one that I'm feeling particularly excited about. That's so awesome. I can't wait to see that too. I know I saw the, um, the umbrella on your website when I was looking at it earlier today. I know you said you had a, um, you had your showroom like from the beginning, like when you were getting out of school. I'm interested to know, do you feel like that has been like a detrimental part to your success as an artist, like having a showroom, like most people don't have that, like having a brick and mortar place for people to come and buy their art and products. That's usually like something that an artist wants to have down the road or maybe not, but you had it like right away and kind of had that while you're um, doing hands on, more hands-on work. 
Um, yeah, I think that's a really valid point. I think um, I didn't have a showroom as such, but I always had a space like a studio. Um, mm, okay. Really for me, like in the beginning, to have somewhere that I could step out. And this, look, in the beginning, it was my garage, you know, like it was, it was just, it was very humble at home. Um, but for me, it was about having a space in which I could create or be a creative um, not to mention store everything. Um, right. But then that eventually, now, yes, I do have a showroom and I've been in this space um, for about eight years and um, having the physicality of, you know, having a space that people can come into and, you know, like it is the showroom, but it's a working showroom. So people love to see that behind the scenes stuff and they like to see oh, cool. what's going on in the background, what projects I'm working on. Quite often I will be in there myself up the front. Um, but then again, sometimes, you know, I won't even set foot in the showroom, which is at the front kind of thing. And then, then the right. courtyard's back. Um, so um, yes, it has been um, quite a big part of success I think because you know it is all very well looking at things online but how you can't be coming in and looking at especially the bigger artworks right. um, looking at those pieces in the flesh and speaking with either myself or my team about you know um, commissioning commissioning a private commission artwork or um, looking at pieces just that they can sort of buy off the wall even um, it is it definitely is um, a positive, but you know, it, especially in this day and age, I, I mean, I'm sure where you are, things are very expensive. And I feel like here in Auckland, um, having a space in this inner city part here, I feel very, very, very lucky um, because, you know, for the reality for most people, um, it's not cheap, you know, it's not yeah. cheap having a space and you've got to work your way to a point where you feel like what you're selling or your income streams are most definitely good enough to be able to cover that and make yeah. it work. Um, and you have so, employees too. Well, yes, <laughs> and, you know, so it's for me, it was, and that's been a long time slowly working up to a point where I can afford to have those employees, um, mm -hmm. where I can afford to have this, this space where, um, and we're not open every week, like officially we're open Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, but you know, we'll get door knockers and I've got staff on from a Tuesday. So people will just knock on the door and of course we'll let them in. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, there's, we, I suppose I've always looked at it like, we are beyond just a retail space. Like I think retail is a very fickle business and um, to purely rely on that space just to work as a retail space would be, you know, suicide in terms of business. So um, it's about, I guess, keeping opportunities open and, you know, there's a lot going on in the background that um, a typical retail space wouldn't, wouldn't have, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, the reality is, um, yeah, it is, it's an expensive part of the business. Um, but for me, I'm at a point now where I also couldn't survive without it. And I certainly couldn't survive without my staff. <laughs> That's so awesome. Wow. You, uh, you do murals, commissions, and hands-on projects. 
you know, in the background, like you said, you have stuff going on, you have the showroom and then in the back is like your studio where you're working on things. I'm curious to know how you get your clients and customers or get like your projects books more from like the private client side or like commercial commission type of things, you know, somebody's trying to hire you for a mural or a custom piece to put in your home. How are you getting those clients and customers? Is it mostly from people uh, like foot traffic coming into your showroom or do you guys do any sort of advertising or outreach? Yeah, good question. I think the, I think my window um, in terms of advertising, because the showroom has a big sort of front window that we obviously set up from a merchandising point of view, that mm -hmm. would certainly have its benefit and would draw people in. But I think compared to word of mouth and um, uh, socials, like online, Instagram, that sort of thing, you know, that window wouldn't be worth much in, term, in terms of, you know, if we'd look at what it then bought in, in terms of income. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, my advertising uh, focused or advertising these days is is purely um, online. So Instagram, website, um, MailChimp newsletters. We've got a really huge um, database that we <coughs> send our newsletters out to. Nice. Um, and like in the beginning, when you know, 20 years ago, that just wasn't the case. And I think the way in which I, I guess, advertised myself, if you want to put it mm -hmm. bluntly was doing artwork on the street it was like getting busy outdoors doing paste-ups doing some um small outdoor pieces that weren't necessarily they didn't necessarily have permission but they were always sort of on say building sites or hoardings that you know it wasn't private property or anything you know mm -hmm. uh, and, and the intent with that stuff back then it was always to beautify a space it was always to create something for the people for the community that you know, it wasn't tagging, is what I'm trying to say. Like the intent mm -hmm. was different, um, and that kind of became like a way in which I advertised myself. I suppose it was like spreading the word. It was like, oh, who's this flocks person? You know, oh, I recognise that. You know, oh, I saw that. You know, I saw that up the road in a gallery, or oh my god, I've seen that T-shirt around. That's the same aesthetic. That's the same bird that is down the road. Like. Um, as part of a street art piece, you know, so it was about. So you started more like um, locally, just right. doing street art, and then yeah. people would either come up to you while you were painting, or people would start seeing it and ask around, and somebody would know it was you. Exactly, I think yeah, that's kind of how it was in the beginning. You know, it was me being motivated and staying busy, and and sort of keeping my fingers in as many pies as possible. So it was, I was having the markets. I was doing a bunch of street art with, with, a, with a crew as well. Um, mm. I was starting to get like, because I was doing these pieces out on the street, I started to get asked to do some interior murals. Like just as, this is just word of mouth for a couple of, um, you know, private commission people. And then what happened was, I remember in the beginning, I did the splashback and then that got photographed and put in a home and garden magazine. And then, you know, people saw that, like, I still get asked for that too, that first splashback. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was about um, just keeping busy, doing some stuff, having a play. And then those audiences would literally cross over and um, 
that whole word of mouth thing started getting traction, I suppose, you know, and then like agencies, you know, started to scope me out just as they did with a bunch of other artists at the time, you know, they got wind of, oh, well, street art's quite cool, isn't it? You know, like, <laughs> and bring that into our campaign, you know, so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was just kind of like the snowball effect um, in the beginning. And of course, now um, I have uh, a good kind of following and I've got a bit of a name for myself. So, you know, I've got contacts in, you know, most agencies here and, you know, when something pops up on their radar or a certain campaign pops up, they're like, oh, they'll be perfect for flocks or, you know, I mean, and it's a small industry here, you know, it's a small community of artists. We're all, we all really back each other. I really, in my own personal experience, don't ever feel like we're in competition as such with each other. It's like everyone's doing their own thing. And I feel like the level of craftsmanship and the level of momentum down here is like world leading you know there's some amazing artists down here doing some phenomenal things so um and i love to see that you know it just keeps everyone on their toes it you know it's it's a healthy kind of competition kind of thing right yeah Yeah. so it's like the healthy competition and everyone's still like uplifting and helping each other in the creative community grow and thrive um would you recommend that you know creatives now in today's time follow the same type of steps that you did in the beginning to kind of get the momentum and get projects or do you feel like if you were to have started now instead of having this 20 years of experience that you have would you do something different in order to get your clients and customers or get projects booked i don't think i would do it differently in terms of like just being as i said fingers and pies um you know, trying different um, processes, trying things differently creative. Um, You know, being a creative doesn't mean you have to just be a graphic designer or you have to just be a fashion designer or, you know, like keeping those pathways open because hell, they all cross over these days, you know? So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, um, yeah, there's, certainly the landscape has changed for sure. Um, but I think, you know, it's it's about, again, momentum and um, being open to the opportunities that come your way um, and just, you know, keeping busy. Right. Okay. So pretty much, I mean, it sounds like it would be kind of the same steps, just making sure you're, you're working and creating art and putting it out there and experimenting. I think um, so. The other thing that I value dearly as an artist, and I think it's truly, truly valid now, is um, you know never underestimate uh, underestimate the power of collaboration, and collaboration can work on it can have many different I guess there's many different levels of collaboration. So um, you can align yourself with a brand if you'd like. I kind of view that as a kind of a collaborative effort or you can go deep and truly collaborate with another artist and create a new body of work, which um, because of some health things that I was going through a couple of years ago and the, you know, my labor, as I said, the the stencil cutting labor, it it is a labor of love. And it was after 20 years, um, you know, having a bit of an impact on my body. So Mm -hmm. I ended up, um, 
sort of collaborating and realigning myself with another creative here, Ross Liu, and we um, have been approaching the large murals together as a team. Oh, and nice. as a consequence, we have kind of created a new aesthetic, you know, and that <laughs> is like, you can't deny that avenue or that pathway that we're both taking. We would never, ever have been able to do that as an individual, you know, um, mm -hmm. and so being able to, you know, collaborate with another artist or with a group of artists, um, whatever it may be, um, truly, truly is, it's outside of most artists' comfort zone, I can guarantee you that. Um, <laughs> but, but I tell you what, it is like, it could take you to a whole new place, a whole new set of um, creative processes um, and a whole new aesthetic that you would otherwise, you, you know, you'd never ever dream of going there on your own it's about pooling skills you know like yeah. what i'm good at is not what ross is good at and vice versa he's got an incredible set of of tech technical skills that i just simply don't have and you know when we combine our forces like that it's it's you know it's pretty magical and we can you know it's it's a very exciting time um in terms of that sort of collaborative part of my own journey that's interesting because I feel like, you know, some creatives feel like they are solo and can never imagine like collaborating with other creatives because they feel yeah. like they would clash or not get along or maybe it's ego or whatever it is. But at the same time, you can get more work done faster. You can grow and learn from each other and oh, projects together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like just take the walls down for, for a minute and just give it a try. Um, mm -hmm. you know, like as I say you just go into some crazy places that you would never have dreamed of going on your own and I think that you know as an artist it's it's very very re rewarding I mean these collaborations don't have to be lifelong but you'll come away from that collaboration with some new ideas I tell you that some new ideas and a new set of skills um, that you can take and transfer back into your own you know, into your own practice. Right. Um, so, <clears throat> that, you know, if, if there was a piece of advice there, I think, you know, with the workshops that I run now, um, people always say to me, they're like, I can't believe how much you share and how much you're willing <laughs> to pass on. I'm like, well, I mean, I, I kind of walked through sort of my artistic career with my eyes shut, kind of figuring it out as I went. And... I am a firm believer of nurturing the younger artists coming through and um, making it as easy as possible because it's so it's not an easy landscape. Um, I love there. that, yeah. So um, I'm all about sharing, um, and I'm all about you know helping helping the younger ones coming through now because you know it is it's it's not easy, and um, yeah, I just. I love to see people succeed, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah it's great. It's, it's yeah. really cool. No, I, I love that you're doing that and you're open to doing that because I mean, that's a big reason why I'm starting this podcast Gangstar creative is because right. I've seen that there, that's like what's missing. We can hear and learn about a lot of people and their artwork and like the craft side and their story probably, but we don't learn like the business side of it and like, 
there's so many different paths that you can take in a creative career to be successful. I mean, you're a, a perfect example of that because you have so many different um, like verticals of your business from the showroom to commissions and private stuff. You got work, like you have a lot of stuff going on and it's amazing that you've been able to get to this point to have this like almost machine running. And, you, and because of that, you've got to figure it out, you know, over the span of 20 years. And the fact that you're willing to share that knowledge and share that experience with, you know, other artists and oh, so openly um, and vulnerably is, is really awesome because for some reason people, other creatives just feel like they need to keep th that stuff to mm -hmm. themselves, but it's not doing anybody a favor, you know? Yeah, I think, I think if you're like confident in your own practice and you're confident mm -hmm. in the aesthetic that you've, that you've worked really hard to achieve and, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's no room for keeping it to yourself. I mean, everyone yeah. is unique and everyone is going to create their own aesthetic and everything's been done, you know, like, mm -hmm. it's, it's not like, you know, um, I don't know. I think, I think people will gain more uh, with sharing and, and that goes for the person sharing in the first place. Like, um, the reason why I share is because I love seeing what these people get out of that, but also it makes me feel good too. And it's yeah. like, well, you know, I, I want to be doing this for another 20, 40 years, you know, so yeah. I, I can't shut down and like isolate myself from the creative, from my own creative you know, sector or, or you know, um, colleagues or um, other artists out there who I absolutely adore. It's about being open, I think, and, you know, just nurturing those those new ones that are coming along because, you know, they're our future. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious to know somebody like yourself who has, you know, this engine running with so many different like departments, so to speak when someone hires you for one of your services, um, whether it's like a mural or a workshop or to speak or whatever, like someone reaches out to you and hires you for something and whichever one you want to go with, you can choose. But what does that process look like? Does, do people have to go through your website or speak to somebody and does somebody kind of qualify them and then they get to talk to you and then you have like yeah. your own process or what does that yeah. look like? Yeah, you kind of got it. Um, so we came up with a scenario about three years ago um which streamlined that process and we what we did was we set up a couple of um like application type um pdfs on the website um mm. and, and there's, there's different ones there can um you know for different reasons or for different types of um jobs i suppose so there is a there's for example there's a charity application and that all charity applications go to my showroom manager manager so she deals with those um then there's a quote submission form so those come to me and they it's basically like um it, it was it, it's sorry the idea is that it minimizes me answering the same questions every time so right. the the application form will have um, like some boxes to tick. Is it like, is it an indoor piece? Is it an outdoor? Is it to hang on the wall? Um, you know, um, can you attach photos of your wall? What are the dimensions? Like all mm -hmm. the really, um, I guess, stock standard um, 
questions. All the questions you would ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I need answered in order to be able to go back to them with a the ballpark. So um, I won't do any on-site visits until it's gone gone past a ballpark and they've accepted that they're in that kind of region of cost breakdown. Um, mm -hmm. And so beyond the ballpark, then I may do a site visit and talk directly to the client. And then I'll go away and I will draft up an official quote and I will send that through. And that will talk about like the terms and conditions and the timeline and, um, you know, what's involved it, for commercial clients. It will certainly involve like a Photoshop mock-up or a visual, um, but mm -hmm. for private commission clients, a lot of those private commission clients are sort of happy for me to quote unquote, do my magic and they don't <laughs> see they don't need to see the um, exactly how it's going to turn out. They're quite happy oh, nice. to intuitively create something beautiful for them. They might have a list like must include a tui or it must include like, or the overall color scheme must be very green, for example. Right. Um, yeah. So that was quite a big deal when we instigated that streamline um, system where people could simply just, um, rock up to the website and fill out one of those forms and it would get sent through to either myself or my showroom manager. So yeah, basically that's kind of how it goes. I do get direct emails or Instagram messages from agencies. So typically I wouldn't expect like an agency to fill out one of those forms really. Mm -hmm. um, they might just come straight to me and we'll just talk things through. It might even be over the phone um, while they're just nutting out an idea. Um, and look, um, the jobs that come in, it's a 50-50, you know, like 50% of them won't happen. The other 50%, maybe another 25% I'll have to work through for some time and then it might fall off the back. Um, and then the remaining 25% will go through to full fruition, you know. So um, not not everything that comes in um, either gets accepted yeah. or, or it works for both yeah. parties, you know. It, it might be a case of not enough budget. It might be a case of bad alignment. It might be a case of I don't have time. Um, the timeline's just too tight, you know. Right. In which case, you know, I always give them some other names that they can, you know, follow up on if they've got a certain project that might not suit my aesthetic or, right. uh, you know, I'll give them a bunch of names of other artists that I think would be um, suitable for the job. Oh, that's good. You know, just keeping the momentum going in the creative circle and community. That, that's really good. When you say, when you say um, agencies reach out to you, what kind of agencies? Are these like in certain industries or what do you mean by that? So they could be like PR agencies where they might be doing an activation for a certain brand and mm -hmm. it's more of an event-based thing. So they might want me to come and live paint um, or there might be um, um, design agencies um, who manage certain brands that um, want to get me involved in either campaign stuff or um, uh, like a collaboration on a product, for example, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, lots, lots of, or, or then there might be like, um, I don't know, like film and television media type agencies as well, where, um, there might 
these, you know, they might want to involve flocks in an episode of blah, blah, you know, that sort of yeah. thing. So, um, yeah, there's, yeah, all sorts of sort of creative agencies out there now. And I think um, the landscapes changed a little bit um, where a lot of the brands actually have their own in-house team doing that stuff. So it might not be the bigger agencies who manage different brands, but it might actually be the brand, the brand's team itself who work in-house and, you know, they might be reaching out because um, a certain campaign's coming up that they want me to be involved in. But um, yeah, um, it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, I talk to all sorts of different people in the creative sector here. And as I say, like, it's a small, it's a small country. And, you <laughs> yeah. know, like everyone kind of knows everyone. So, and I like that, you know, I like that we're all quite connected and I feel like we're all kind of looking out for each other. So yeah, it's a good thing. That's awesome. And that's good insight to hearing about like the different types of agencies. I'm sure that can spark some ideas for some of the listeners who are listening now. Like, oh, I didn't even think, you know, about like different departments in an agency needing mm -hmm. creatives, like artists, muralists, designers, whatever, you know, their craft and niches um, for big projects like that. So that's really cool that you have them reaching out to you versus you having to seek them out. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, people have asked me that over the years, like, how did, did you door knock or did you cold call? Yeah. Um, it was a case of, in the beginning, as I said, remaining quite active and doing some stuff on the street um, and just kind of getting into my own practice and keeping that momentum up. So I never, I never did that. I never cold called. I never put my stuff out there. It was like they all, like, eventually came my way, which was really, really cool. And um, I've... I suppose, and that that has turned into social media now. It's like, well, it's all out there for you to see. You don't, I, I kind of feel like you don't really, you don't need to put a portfolio together anymore. And like, because your portfolio is your Instagram account almost. Right. You know? <laughs> um, so, you know, people um, have the ability to um, research you and come to you um, as opposed to you having to do the work in the first place. Did you have like a certain method to pricing your services starting out and has that has evolved? Um, I'm assuming as you know, more success has come your way. Pricing is really hard. Now, um, <laughs> I, I do have considerations for pricing. I'll tell you that. Mm. So um, the considerations would be, um, you know, who is the client? Because I mean, let's face it, if it's like, not that I've, I won't name any names. I shouldn't do that. Um, so if they're a big, if they're a big like multinational company, and obviously, yeah. um, you know, bigger budget. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bigger budget, but also they need to align in the first place anyway. But just mm -hmm. money. Um, so it depends on who they are. It also depends on the scope of the project. So I mean, how much work do you have to do? Is it a case of creating one piece of artwork and then that is used across multiple, um, you know, avenues such as advertising and, and or packaging. Um, so then, then if that, that comment is segued into usage. So um, usage can mean like um, what the artwork is, 
is used on and for? So is it just for web advertising? Is it for, um, or is it for an ad campaign where it's going to end up in bus shelters and billboards and on buses? Um, mm -hmm. That's into, into play. The other usage part is where is it going to be used in terms of, um, you know, is it going to be used just in New Zealand or is it going to be international or is it just New Zealand, just US? So right. territory comes into it. Um, and the other usage is time. So is it just for the duration of the campaign or is the usage for, is, is it perpetual? So are you literally handing over this artwork to these people to then use perpetually for as long as they want um, in, in whatever form they want? And that, for me, that's a buyout price. So yeah. that's complete buyout. So you're literally handing over that image and they can do what and when they want with that image. Um, and quite often I find brands, uh, they want to they wanna go down that road because it's easier, it's cleaner. Um, mm -hmm. Because often they, they might not know the usage. Um, and then, so like if you were to negotiate that they can use a certain image say for a year in New Zealand and then they did that and then they came to you and said look we want to extend the campaign we want to use it for another year then you should have in your contract that a renew there's a renewal fee as well right. you know? mm -hmm. um, so usage is, usage is huge it's territory it's um, it's time and it's also where and how it's it's used, like um, whether it be just for advertising or is that going to be used on like <clears throat> merchandise, that sort of thing. Right. And this is like from a license, it sounds like from like the licensing yeah. level. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's, uh, and, you know, I always feel much more comfortable when it's not perpetual and it's for a certain... Um, Duration duration of time um, yeah. so it might just be for um, duration of campaign which generally means probably about six months um, so that for me I feel much more comfortable in knowing that um, but sometimes um, these brands they might not actually know and they feel more comfortable in just a pure buyout so your price should reflect that buyout and that's obviously the the higher tier price point um, that you can offer them. Um, and like, I just go reach for the stars for that one. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Because it is, um, you're, you're handing it over, you know, you're, yeah. you're handing that uh, piece of artwork over full copyright. That's theirs. They own that forever. <laughs> Did it take you a long time to, I guess, have that courage to just have that confidence to say reach for the stars when it comes to that because i'm sure a lot of creatives like would still even though they know that they're handing this one thing over you know exclusively forever they're still they still like under uh cut themselves as far as you know whatever the, the quote is for that um were you always I, confident in doing that i think that's the hard part about pricing it's knowing where you sit in that framework so um, like how long have you been in the game? Like what is your following? Have you got a name yet? Right. Um, you know, that all is into that and that when pricing becomes very, um, it has to be very flexible and 
not not one artist is going to be the same as the other artist you know like um there there can often be conflict with um feeling like you're being undercut by another artist well that's just how it goes because that artist might not be as um you know as uh, renowned or experienced yeah it might not have that level of name so you know they're they're just at a different point in their career I don't feel like there's necessarily um, an angle of being undercut. It's often just a case of, well, they're working on off their own principles, or you know, on on costing and pricing of um, dependent of of where their career is currently at. You know, yeah. so so it's that's why I mean I get asked it all the time, like, oh, how do I price this up? Blah blah. blah. Well, you know, there's certain factors to um, look at like the usage and whatnot like we talked about before but then you've got that other layer that other difficult layer to um, take into consideration and that is well who are you as an artist and what do you have to offer where do you sit in that broader context that that kind of creative landscape how long have you been doing it what's your name you know it's really yeah. it's so hard it's very yeah. very hard yeah yeah did you did you have any mentors or business coaches along your 20 year journey or did you like learn everything on your own did you, you have people in your corner that you know that mentor you and help you with like either the legal or the business side of things i think like that initial business course really set me up in that way like mm. I, I did learn a lot of um a lot of things in that course but i think perhaps more um, pertinent was some time I spent in the earlier years as part of a crew called Cut Collective and we were a bunch of artists that came together and we all cut stencils and that was sort of our common aesthetic I suppose um, but mm -hmm. we're all in the same boat we were kind of all just starting out and so we we bounced ideas off each other and we worked kind of together in, in figuring out that really tricky stuff um, oh. so that, that gave me I guess a basis of understanding of of sort of where I sat and how I could cost things out, um, and yeah, it, it's yeah, it's such a hard thing to navigate. It really is. Um, but I think, um, you know, tr you can't do it alone. It's almost like you need to um, reach out to other artists that um, perhaps have been in the game a little bit longer, and they could mm -hmm. maybe help you out you know, for costing something up specifically, um, or at least give you a set of guidelines, you know, because um, it does come down to your own independent um, sort of, you know, where you sit in, in, in that context. So yeah, it's tricky. Gotcha, gotcha. That's cool, though, that you were able to learn from, you know, having that collective of artists kind of grunging it out together and you guys just learning yeah. from each other and being able to have those that already like soundboard um an open door set up with everybody that was in your group so yeah it was um you know definitely a um really interesting time and like i say we were all in the same boat so um just having an ear really um having like you said a soundboard to bounce ideas off um and having um someone critic criticize you know it's have, having that <laughs> critique you know yeah um, it, it's hard to take critique but um it's uh, essential and in, in, in growth 
Absolutely. So we're coming to the end of our conversation, sadly, but I just have a couple more questions for you. Um, one is, how do you think we as a creative community can annihilate the status quo of the starving artist? Gosh, that's a big one, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I think um, it, it comes down to that sharing thing, you know, like being open mm -hmm. and, and not so closed door. Um, I think that if we are helping each other and, um, you know, just helping each other get ahead and sharing knowledge, um, then that has got to be a good thing for everyone, including ourselves. So, um, you know, it's, it's about, you know, being confident in, in your own practice and um, using your resources and, and speaking with other like-minded people around you. Don't, you know, that whole closed door policy, I, it, do, it doesn't work and it won't get you, it won't, it will only get you to a certain point in your career. So, um, you know, I, I truly do think um, down here, I see, I know a lot of artists that are, are making this work full time. It's been, uh, it hasn't been an easy road, um, but I think because we do all, we are all quite connected down here and, um, you know, we do, I do feel like there is more of an open door policy where we're all kind of helping each other along in a certain sense. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that in the end, that has all heightened everyone's ability to, um, you know, make a career out of, of this, of what they love. You know, yeah. um, so, I mean, sure, there's there's still a lot of starving artists out there, you know, but, um, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. It's, you know, you can um, just, the other thing is not to put yourself into um, a single pigeonhole, like keep your avenues open. You know how I said before, like, um, just because you studied as a fashion designer doesn't mean you have to be a fashion designer or or just because you studied as a graphic designer doesn't mean you have to just be that, you know, mm -hmm. all the sectors are crossing over and it's like, just be open to, um, to change or to um, crossing some of those fields over. Um, basically at the end of the day, it's, it's about keeping those opportunities open. I love that. Wow. Those were a lot of good gold nuggets there. <laughs> oh, <phew>. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, myself and everyone listening is definitely going to take that um, and run with it. Um, so my last question is just what's next for you? Besides obviously getting through <laughs> what we can't help with right now, um, we're kind of all locked down in our homes, but outside yeah. of that. Well, um, next for me, well, I, I did have a show lined up in the US, so for this oh, year. Cool. So we'll see about that. That was in Oregon. Um, the, I'm, I'm really, really focusing on those product ranges at the moment. So, um, mm -hmm. we did have, we had a trip lined up for the year as well at the end of the year. So we'll see how that grows. Um, and then I, I think obviously just using this, this time in ISO as well to, um, create new content, you know, like it's so few and far between now where I get quiet time to actually just be creative and create new artwork. Um, so I'm really going to use this time to, um, you know, create that new content and um, just be 
creator just, just yes yeah, <laughs> i don't know um so yeah no I, i'm as as serious as this situation is right now i'm also excited to have this opportunity to um to just go within and um really just create some new stuff and yeah. um, see where that takes me you know um yeah yeah I love it. I love it. Well, Fox, thank you so much for your time and sharing your experience and gold nuggets with the Gangstar Creative listeners. I will have Fox's Instagram and social media handles listed in the description and her website. So make sure you go follow her, show her some love and check her stuff out. Um, Again, thank you so much for your time and we'll chat again soon. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, listen to a couple more episodes, and share it with a fellow Gangstar creative. I would also be forever grateful if you left a review letting me know what you loved and what you'd like to hear more of. And as a thank you for leaving me a review, I'll gift you both my 10 ways to create a Gangstar brand PDF and 5 ways to boost your online sales PDF. Just screenshot your review and DM me the picture on Instagram at Devonna Stimson and I'll send it right over to you. Until next time, cheers to annihilating the status quo of the starving artist.